Let's pray. Father, we ask you to use these next number of weeks, and particularly this sermon, to touch us deeply where we don't want you to go. We are all filled with thoughts of ourselves that no one else knows, but you know. We know them. And yet we need the Word of God to remind us that those thoughts, while sinfully normal, are not helpful and are not what you want. Pride is a viper in the heart, and it produces so many bad fruits. And I pray that you would use this text in our time of considering what it means to embrace humility and to put off pride, to really open our eyes to what we're really like. Lord, proud people do not realize they're proud. And so we need you to use the word to help them to see this today. Help us to see this. Help me to see this. And I pray, Lord, that today you'd even use this message to draw people into your kingdom as they come to realize that pride is merely a fruit of a lack of a right relationship with you. So God, I am a proud man. And therefore, I need your help to preach this right and correct and helpful to our people. And so we ask this in your name. Amen. So during the month of August, we're going to focus on the subject of relationships. And we're going to try and figure out the various ways in which sin can very easily creep into our most intimate relationships and even our most casual relationships. And we're going to try and figure out some of the ways that we really kill relationships and quite honestly, we irritate people. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at a number of different subjects. I'm going to give you five ways. If you really want to kill relationships and irritate people, just do these five things. You ready? Number one is just be full of yourself. That's what we're looking at today. Number two is just use anger to get what you want. Number three, just live with unresolved conflict. Number four, just say whatever you want. And number five, never be satisfied. So if you want to destroy relationships, just do those things. And I think if all of us were honest, we'd have to admit that in various ways, probably even this week and maybe even this morning, we've done at least a few on that list. So do you know that God's word has a lot to say about these things? Um, it does. And so I want to encourage you that as you come on Sunday, that you pray every week that God would reveal to you how this issue and how the particular text that we're looking at will relate to what's going on in your life. Do not listen for someone else, please. And resist the tendency when in the middle of a sermon and your mind starts to drift or you start to hear a point and you're like, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening. Don't do that. Just say, Lord, just me, help me. What we're going to do is every topic, we're going to take a particular text like we are today in First Peter 5 and see what the Bible has to say about this. We're going to see that the Bible has a lot to say about all of these things. The second thing that I would ask you to do if you're in a small group, Gary Meeks has written a fabulous study guide that relates to what we're talking about today. And if you're in a small group, I'd love for you just to take that study guide and just kind of dive in deeper and more personally to take what we're talking about here and make it live and work in the context of the community in which you live. And then finally, 
Uh, if you notice when you came in this morning, you should have received a couple handouts. The, uh, the first is a brochure, looks like this, from Peacemaker Ministries. And we have a book table set out uh, with a bunch of resources. And, and I would just love for you at, at the end of uh, today or maybe in the weeks to come to pick up a resource to co- kind of follow up on some of the things we're going to talk about. And if you could only buy one resource or just pick up one book, I would commend to you the book Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Uh, probably the best book that I know that deals with relationships and conflict resolution. And this uh, brochure is just a summary of some of their principles. You also received a uh, survey or kind of an action quiz on the fruits of pride. It looks like this. And please don't fill this out uh, during um, the sermon today. But uh, rather, when you go home, I'd encourage you to take a few moments and, uh, and fill this out. And if you're feeling you know, really good about the survey... I'd suggest that you then give it to your spouse and invite him or her to fill it out and then give it back to you. And that would be a good way to ruin your Sunday afternoon. So <laughs> that uh, would be a great experience. Some of you are like, oh, great. It was really a good Sunday until you did that, Mark. Thanks a lot. So my wife's going to be waiting all day. So where's the survey? Can I see it? So, so you might wonder, why would we spend uh, five weeks on this subject of relationships? Let me tell you why. The reason first is that uh, relationships are God's idea. Uh, He operates in the realm of relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit in the form of the Trinity. And as well, the beauty of the Garden of Eden was not just the environment or the ecology. The beauty of the Garden of Eden was the pristine relationship between God and Adam and Adam and Eve. Relationships are his idea. Here's the other thing. And that is that we all have relationships. Every single one of us. You've got brothers, you've got sisters, you've got a mom, you've got a dad, you've got people at work. It doesn't, marry, it doesn't matter if you're married or if you're single. We all have relationships. And so this is incredibly practical. We have to figure out how to be able to take um, biblical principles and, and bring them into the real world in which we live. And relationships are the real world. It, it really is the context in which we're all going to have to deal with people. You may want to run away and go to a cave, but you won't be able to live there long. You have to deal with people. Um, and you have to deal with relationships. And so this is, this is the real world. The other thing is that relationships provide great joy and great pain. I can think of some of the best memories of my life have been memories associated with people and closeness and, and friendship and, and, and relationship. Relationship was a part of that. And so relationships bring great joy. And my guess is you can also think that with me about some of the most difficult seasons of your life, some of the most painful things that have ever happened to you. My guess is it was because of relationships, words that have been said, a relationship that fell apart, a person who you just couldn't get along with, someone who said something was just so hurtful, and to this day, it still hurts. Relationships provide great joy or great pain. In in fact, you know what? Relationships provide a context for you to be able to really demonstrate the Christ-likeness that God commends to us. Relationships provide great joy, great pain. Here's the last one, and that is we have blind spots. See, the the fact of the matter is, is that we don't see our life very clearly. Um, We don't see our own pride very clearly. In fact, proud people don't see that they're proud. You know why? (laughs) Because they're proud, that's why. They don't see it. And yet, we see it, and we can see other people's issues so more clearly than our own. And so it's helpful to take these weeks and just talk about some things that we all need to work on. So can we just acknowledge that we all are a work in progress? Can we all just realize that we're all a piece of work? And and, and the church needs to be a place where where people can say, you know what, I I got issues. You can't stay there. You can't be like, I got issues, I got issues, I got issues all day long for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But to realize that 
you know what? We, we all have challenges. We all have to wrestle with these things. And the Word of God gives us great hope as to what we can do to have the evidence of Christ formed in our lives so that, so that we can really demonstrate that we love Jesus. You know, the Bible calls us to be Christ-like, and one of the greatest ways that we can be Christ-like is in our relationships. You know, I realized this um, last week in a kind of a painful way, or actually two weeks ago. I was in a hurry. I was running an errand um, for uh, Sarah and was running to one of our um, local um, department stores or a grocery store, and as I was checking, I had like two objects or three. It was like 15 bucks. And I, I took my debit card, rang it through the, 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 the checkout um, scanner, and a lady typed in her thing. And then she said, can I see your ID? I said, sure. So I pulled out my wallet and I showed her my ID. Now, my ID, my wallet has a little clear plastic uh, place where I place my ID. So I showed her my ID so she could see that the picture, the name, and the card all matched. And then she said to me, please take it out of your wallet. And I was like, what is this? It's like, what are you, the shopping cop? You know, what is this? I, I was like, what, what is this? And I was, internally, I was, I was, I was irritated. I was like, I gotta go. And you're like IDing me on this thing and it's like 15 bucks. And, and I, and it just came out. I said, are you serious? <laughs> it just came out. And, and, and she said, it's our policy. And then I was like, thinking, well, what if you, what's going to happen if I say no, right? So I was like, all right. So I took it out and handed it to her. And then, then, of course, then something else came out. And I said, you know, no one's ever asked me for my ID before. And she said, that's because no one else follows the policy. I was like, oh, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that makes sense. So then she handed it back to me. And I was waiting for her to write me a ticket or something, you know, you're being fined, you know, and things of that sort. And I put it back in my wallet and, and I, and I left. And, you know, I wasn't like overly sinful. I was just, you know, moderately so. And I was like, I was feeling like just kind of irritated. So I, I, I left the store kind of grumbling underneath my breath, like you've never done. And then I got, I, uh, I got to the car and I opened the car door. And as I put my wallet in my pocket, I looked down and I was, I was absolutely floored. Because I was wearing our VBS t-shirt. And in big, bold letters across my chest was the word Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, Mark. So I'm never wearing that shirt again. That's what it's going to And it was just a good reminder, uh, it's the, you know, a good reminder that, you know, blazing from my heart ought to be this evidence of Jesus in my speech, in my conduct, and yeah, even when someone cards me at a grocery store so they can confirm that my debit card is who I claim to be. And yet pride, this desire to not be bothered, to not be inconvenienced, to, to not have the policy enforced for me because I'm the exception to the rule for my $15 purchase. That, that stuff is just there. And it doesn't take a whole lot for it to come out. And we all know that. And that's why this warning from this text is so critical. Peter says, be clothed, all of you, with humility because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, but I gotta work at getting my mind set right to say, okay, I gotta be humble because your grace is more valuable 
than just getting through the checkout line like I want. I gotta work at this attitude that's within me that just comes out so quickly. So, what is, what does the Bible say about pride? Well, the first thing from 1 Peter 5 is this, that pride invites opposition. The statement is clear. God opposes the proud. So what's pride? The word pride means to appear and over. It's two words that are taken together. So to appear over. So it means that you think you're over or you act like you're over others. It means that you think highly of yourself, that you're better than others. And the word can be translated as arrogant or boastful or insolent. Those words kind of grabbed me. So I started looking at what they mean, what their definitions are, and it's helpful. These are the three ways, and there's probably more, but at least these are three ways that pride surfaces in our lives. We're, we're arrogant, meaning in what I think about myself. So, so some of us are arrogant, just what we think about ourselves. We really think we're smarter or better than other people. I mean, that's really the problem. Or what I say about myself. I mean, that's, that's what yeah, when your kids, you know, they're, they're growing up, they don't know that it's not like socially cool to brag about yourself. And then as we get to adulthood, we learn it's not socially cool to do that, so we don't do that outside, but we still do it inside. Or we find little socially acceptable ways to do it. Are you going to wear that? That's interesting. Yeah. And we say things like that. Like, uh, oh, so... So how's your job going? Which we really want them to ask, how's your job going? So we find ways to be boastful without being like kids. Or the third one, insolent, is how we talk to others. I see this all the time where somebody just has an air about them where the way they talk is they talk down to people. They feel like the world is their classroom. Everyone needs to learn from me. I've got the answer. Listen to me. Watch how I help you. i got the answer to your life, man. And this is what happens. Pride surfaces in these ways. You know the Bible's got some really strong things to say about how God views pride? In um, Proverbs 6, 16 to 17, Proverbs 6, 16 to 17, God lists seven things that are abomination to him. Guess what's first on the list? Pride. Here's another verse, just write this down. Proverbs 8, 13. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. So God says, I hate these things. Um, Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Here's another one. Proverbs 13, 10. By insolence comes nothing but strife. Meaning that talking down thing that I got to you got to learn from me. i got to teach you. Listen to me. He says, by insolence, that thing comes nothing but strife. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And here's one that probably most of us know. Proverbs 16, 18, and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride comes before a fall. So why does God take pride so seriously here's why because the proud person has a trust and a worship problem the proud person trusts in themselves and they seek glory for themselves in other words what they are doing the proud person when we are filled with pride we are competing with god We want to be in control. We want things the way that we want them. C.G. Mahaney, in his great book on humility, 
says, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependent upon Him. Dependence upon Him. So, back to the grocery store. I'm standing there, and what I want is I want to check out without being bothered. I want the ID that I show this lady to be enough. Instead of having this attitude of, apparently, you know, God, I need to be humbled by listening to this woman who's talking down to me, and I just want her to not treat me like everyone else. Apparently, you know that I need this today. Living like that is living in dependency. Living self-sufficiently and trying to be God is a mentality of, look, I want life the way that I want it, and I want it this way now. In other words, pride is contending with God for supremacy. So before you just write pride off as this little sin that everyone does, and I'm sure we laugh about it, but the reality is it's contending for supremacy with God. And, and that was a devastating little definition for me to discover this week. Contending with supremacy for you. So the problem is not just that I think too much of myself, but it's that I'm literally contending with you for who's going to run my life. Going to contend with you for supremacy or, or who's going to be exalted. So the text says that God resists the proud or opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does it mean that he's opposing The word is in the present tense, and it means that it's continually. So whatever's going on here, God is continually rolling out opposition. There's a sense of this continual aspect that the person is constantly receiving from God opposition. What does opposition mean? Opposition was used of arranging military forces. It's when a a castle or a city was going to be invaded and troops would come and and stake their tents and line up their forces. That's the word that Peter uses about God's posture towards you. That's scary. So you're in your little pride castle, and all of a sudden you look out the window and, holy smoke, there's like 30,000 forces lined up against your four. And then you're going to go try and win that battle. Let's go! Let's go! You're going to get toasted. You're going to get blown over. God has lined up the forces of the universe to show you that this isn't going to work. So how, how does God oppose people? Well, one of the ways that God judges people, according to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, is God gives them up. He, um, he sort of says, hey, you want to run your life? Good luck with that. You want, you want to try and do things your own way? Yeah, go, go for it. Let's see how that works. So God just, one of the signs of his judgment is he, he just lets us go our own way. So that means that if in the context of the next five weeks you feel a twinge of conviction, or you feel like, wow, God's speaking to me about this, that is mercy, friend. That is mercy. When he opens your eyes and you feel this conviction and this weight, don't you resist that and say, yeah, I don't want to be convicted. No, it's mercy. You ought to freak out when you can listen to five messages and walk away unchanged. That ought to scare you to death. It's mercy, because what is judgment? Judgment is God saying, go ahead, try and run your own life. Try and run your marriage with you at the center. See how that works. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. Try and raise kids with the ultimate orbit being what they think of you. I just want to be their friend. I want them to like me. Try, try that. That's, that's, that's not going to work. Try, try entering into a dating relationship and, and you just have to have a relationship because you, you have to be whole. You, you need a person in order to fulfill you. It's all about you. 
or just live a life where you constantly think about what other people think of you. You walk into church, like, what do they think of me? What do they think of me? They're talking to them. They're talking, you're like, just junior high, I'll revisit it again. And you're like 35 years old. And the reason you're like that is because God has given you over to just run in your life by yourself. In fact, some of you may come to a realization, my prayer would be even today, that and the real problem in your life isn't pride. But the real problem is the fact that you've never humbled yourself and realize that you've offended a holy God by your life and who you are. And the first step is for you to receive Christ and admit that you're a sinner. And, and you won't even do that. And no wonder your marriage is in the tank and your, your, your kids, you can't get it into their hearts. It's, it's because you've never taken the first step of humility, which is saying, I'm a sinner, I've offended you, and I need your help. That's step one. So judgment is God saying, go ahead, give that a shot. So how, how does pride affect relationships? What, what, what does pride do? What, what is its effect? You know what it does? It destroys the foundation of what they're built on. Because relationships were supposed to be about glorifying God. So instead of glorifying God, your relationships now become about making much of you. And when that happens, there's this giant sucking sound in your relationship where all of the joy and the fun and the satisfaction and the God-honoring aspects of it go right down the drain and you become this relentless vacuum for self-interest. And some of you have drained relationships for years that way. And you may be draining relationships even now because it's all about you. Ken Sandy talks about peace breakers, people who are just contentious and they break the peace. Pride is at the root of that. Or peace fakers. You know those kind of folks? They're equally proud. They just don't want to admit there's a, that there's any problem. They're the relative or the family member that you're like, hey, we got, we got something we got to talk about here. There's, we got big problems. And they're like, no, honey, everything's fine. There's no problem. Everyone loves each other. Look around. Everyone's happy. Everyone's like, and you're like, these people hate each other. You don't, they just start talking about it. No, honey, everything's fine. And you just want to go, whack, nothing's fine. Look around. We're all sinful, wicked people. Just don't want to talk about it. And that, that piece faking, that's equally as proud because you don't want to admit you got a problem. Don't want to admit there's conflict. Don't want to admit there's an issue. You see, relationships by definition are killed by pride because God opposes proud people. Relationships weren't meant to work that way. John, uh, Jonathan Edwards says that pride is the worst viper in the heart, the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. And that's true. I think it's a little bit more. Pride is the great disturber of all relationships. Not just our relationship with Christ, but it's a disturber of all relationships. I mean, really, do you enjoy hanging around someone who talks about themselves all the time? Do you enjoy hanging around someone who's so full of themselves? Do you enjoy someone who treats you as if you're really lucky to be their friend? Is that fun to you? It's not fun to me. And and Pride kills relationships. And, and it creates so many little aberrant issues. Let me give you a list of, of the ways in which pride affects relationships. It, it, it can cause you to be argumentative. People just need to know when I disagree. My gift is being disagreeable. I don't know about you. I tell that brother, go and keep your gift. Stubbornness. I do not need to change. Or here's my favorite one. I'm hardly stubborn. You should have seen my father. Like, that's better, right? 
unsubmissiveness. You know, if I was in charge, I would be proud. If I was the boss, if I was in charge, if I was the regional manager, man, if I was, if I was the president of the United States, here's what I would do. Interrupting. Here's one. You ever try and have a conversation with someone? You're talking and you're not even done with your thought and they're jumping in with what they need to say. And the reason we interrupt is pride. Here's why. Because when we interrupt, we say this. Hey, listen, your need to learn from me is greater than my need to listen to what you're saying. That's what we do. So husbands, when you begin to interrupt your wife, when she's sharing with you what's going on, just remember, her need to learn from you is not as great as your need to learn from her. And wives, same thing. Easily angered or easily offended. Pride at the root. How dare they say that to me? Jealousy? Envy? Boy, man, if I were them, I would. Really. Condescension. You know what? I got a lot to offer people. And we don't say it that way. But that's what's inside. Overbearing. You ever had a party with an overbearing person? Where they, they feel like they have to be the center of the attention. They're loud. They're boisterous. Everyone's got to look their way. And they just constantly have a better story than everybody else. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I, well, I. And by the time you're done with it, it's exhausting because you're so worn out from their overbearingness. Divisive. <laughs> There's a lot of people who feel the way that I do, Pastor. Defensiveness. Defensiveness. Where immediately you think, well, well, what about you? Not what about me. What about you? What about you? And there's a constant focus on others. A slandering. Well, I don't want to gossip, but have you heard? <laughs> or not admitting fault. I, I, I'm not the problem here. All of these things at their root are very connected to pride. And then those are the very active ones. Let me give you some passive ones. Because there's some folks who are overly, outwardly or overtly proud, but they're internally proud. People who struggle with the fear of man, so worried what other people think of them. They have a critical spirit of others. They're overly self-conscious, always worried what people think. Making comparisons, overly competitive. People who are insecure. People who would even listen to this list and immediately you think of other people in mind. And then also folks who aren't open to correction. Are you open to correction? Some time ago, I was making dinner for my children. My wife was gone, and so I made the meal, and we're sitting there, and I kind of just sat back, and I said, so what would you guys think of the meal? It's good? And uh, one of my sons said, are you open to comments, Dad? <laughs> I was like, what is this? What is this? What, what's happening here? This is uncomfortable. And immediately, I'm thinking, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I am. And so he, he told me what he thought. And then I said, are you open to comments about your comment? <laughs> so but the reality is when people give us comments, there's an innate defense of this. And my question is, are you, are you open? Are you open to criticism? Or have you created an environment that, that nobody around you is willing to tell you what's really going on? Dads, have you created an environment in your home that your kids can't really speak truth to you because they're too afraid of how you're going to explode? Are they so afraid of you that no, but no one would dare tell dad that? 
Or mom, have you created an environment such that everyone walks eggshells around your issues and everyone doesn't tell you about them, they just contain them? And your kids and your spouse and your friends, they all know, oh, don't go there, don't go there. And so they all walk around them because, and the reason that no one talks to you about these things is because you're not open, you're, you're proud. So you see how devastating pride is to relationships? It's like this, this snake that gets in the middle of our relationships and our intimacy with people and our closeness. And, and what it does is it invites opposition from God. God lets us go our own way. So you want to be self-conscious? Just see how that works for you. You want to interrupt people? Just try that. See how, see how people love hanging around. And you start to wonder, how come I have no friends? How come people don't like hanging around me? Why is it that, that people just are defensive with me? And it could be because God has just let you go and allowed pride to run its full course. God opposes the proud, but he doesn't leave us without hope. He says in the text, he gives grace to the humble. So here's the thing. While pride invites opposition, here's the beautiful thing. Humility invites grace. So beautiful. God says that while while pride invites um, opposition, humility invites this beautiful gift called grace. So what does it mean to be humble? The word humble means to be low-lying or something that doesn't rise far from the ground. It means, in, in, in scriptural or spiritual terms, that you have an appropriate view of yourself. It means that you understand who God is and you understand who you are. And again, that's why the cross is so important. Because you understand that I needed a Savior to save me from me. And it was Christ who rescued this poor, wretched, miserable sinner. And he saved me and cleansed me and called me beloved. And I didn't deserve that. And understanding that sets the framework for then how you live in life. You see, while pride contends for supremacy, humility celebrates dependency. That's the difference. Pride says, I want to be in control. And humility says, thank you that I'm not in control. Pride says, I want to run my own life. And humility says, I tried that. That didn't work. I need your help. Pride says, I need to make something of me. Humility says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Rest there. God loves and he honors humility. Listen, Isaiah 66 to, This is the one on whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do nothing. Philippians 2, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So, we have some some children in the room. Children, the reason why you have conflict with your older brother or your younger brother or your older sister or your younger sister is because at the end of the day, what you want is you think you're more important than them. And so it's not an argument about stuff, toys, food, where you sit in the car, video games, or the iPhone, or who gets to wear that outfit. That's not the issue. The issue isn't stuff. The issue is the heart where we really think we're more important than ourselves. And parents, the reason that we tell our children don't fight and don't argue is we're trying to drive at the heart of the fact that they are little pride factories. And we must help them and shape them and discipline them or they will become like us. <laughs> we have to help them. 
And so he says, don't look at your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he says, have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. Oh, we would be lost and hopeless if we didn't have the opportunity to look to him. So what happens is that humility impacts relationships. When, when I have an attitude that puts others first, which thinks of the needs and desires of others as more important than my own, it changes our relationships. And this is the way the Bible wants us to think, that other people are more important, and I have to think like Jesus in exalting others over than myself. And the problem is, is that our culture does not operate this way. It doesn't. In fact, uh, last Sunday and the third service, I, I sang a little ditty that I remembered from a, as a kid. There was a show that I used to watch when I was a child called Captain Kangaroo. How many of you watched that? Okay, yeah, great show, great, right? With the ping pong balls and the moose and all that. Remember that? So at, at, the, at, at the commercial breaks, they had these little public service announcement commercials that I think were designed to try and help children um, be better citizens in our community. And, and I would argue it, it made us worse. And, and let me show you um, this little commercial. The most important person in the whole wide world. That's why I'm so messed up right there. <laughs> That's a problem. Captain Kangaroo and that stuff got me really messed up. Listen. The most important person in the whole wide world is you. Come on, we'll show you. And what you don't know, oh, the Bible says the most important person in the world is not you. That's the difference. And that's why our kids and our families have to know the word because it's absolutely antithetical to the message of our culture. That the most of the world does not revolve around you. And if you live that way, good luck with that. So how does God give grace to the humble? What does it mean he gives grace? Here's what this means. The word grace, it means that first, when we are forgiven of our sins through Christ, God pours out grace. It means unmerited favor. It means God treats you as you don't deserve. But there's another meaning along with this. It means that after you receive Christ, that God continually gives you, listen, the desire, the power, and the ability to do his will. It's beautiful. He gives you the desire, the ability, and the power to do His will. It means that He is continually pouring out on you, if you're humble, this empowerment to do what He wants you to do. And by the way, you're living here not for your glory, but for His. That's why you exist. And so the fact that God is willing to pour out His grace upon you when you choose the path of humility is the most beautiful, most wonderful, most glorious thing in all of the world because that's why we are here, to make much of Him. And the humble people are the ones who receive power and ability to do that. 1 Peter 5 indicates that God is ready to give grace to the humble person. He gives them supernatural strength and assistance. It's that God providentially and personally supports the humble. It means that the humble person is not alone. Listen, humility is God's plan Remember that. Humility is God's plan. For the twins' birthday, we bought them desks in their room, and I saw them at Office Max, and I was like, these will work. Let's buy these. And they didn't have them in stock, so they said, well, we'll ship them to you. And I said, great. But I didn't know it meant that ship them unassembled. 
And so these two huge boxes show up, and I open these boxes, and there is like 30,000 pieces and this manual. And so I'm, our garage is all set up with these boards, and I'm starting to put these things together, and I'm just looking at this mound of uh, two desks. This is going to be forever. So I, I think, well, there can't be that many steps. So I open up the manual, and I've already begun. I'm on step four, and I've got two desks, and then I look to the end. Just curious, how many steps are there? There's 46 steps. It was so discouraging. It took me eight hours to put one desk together. I still have another one to go. And what, what I had to do, I said to go each step along the way and follow the instructions very carefully. And even though sometimes I didn't understand, why is this dowel going here? And why is this little bolt going here? At the end of the day, it all made sense because the plan all fit together. Listen to me. Humility is God's plan. It's his instruction manual to you and me. And you may not understand how all the pieces fit together, but he's ready to pour out grace if you will simply trust him and say, Lord, I believe that humility is the better way. A few years ago, I found a, a piece written by Nancy Lee DeMoss called Broken People versus Proud People. It's a phenomenal story behind this list. It was, she, she gave it the first time at a conference for Campus Crusade, and, and a revival broke out. Let me give you a just a, a few of the things that she says is the difference between proud people and broken people. Proud people focus on the failures of other others. Broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own need. Proud people have a critical fault-finding spirit. Broken people can forgive because they know how much they've been forgiven. Proud people look down on others. Broken people esteem others better than themselves. Proud people are independent and self-sufficient. Broken people know their need for others. Proud people have to prove that they're right. Broken people have yielded the right to be right. Proud people are unapproachable or defensive. Broken people receive criticism with a humble, open spirit. Do you see how big the difference is? Do you see how much God-honoring good could come from relationships that look like broken, humble people instead of proud, arrogant, insolent people? So the text says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Finally, what does this mean, clothe yourselves? The idea is this. You take the existing garments that you have, and you take another garment, and you put it on you. It means that you take up another piece of clothing. I mean, Peter probably had in mind when Jesus, in John 13, put a, a, a towel around his waist and began serving the, the other disciples and washing their feet. So take who you are and intentionally cultivate humility. Clothe yourselves. Put on humility. How do we do that? Well, Mahaney's book on humility, he gives a number of things, and I've condensed them to the following. Here's some suggestions. Number one, reflect on the wonder and the tragedy, the wonder of the cross and the tragedy of your sin. Listen. You will be a proud man or woman until you get back to the cross. And you remember that it was your sin that Christ died for, and without him, you would be nothing. And you have to come back to the cross. You can't just say, I'm just not going to be proud anymore. You can't do that. You have to go back to Jesus. It all comes back to him and say, Lord, help me. I want to be like you. Secondly, begin each day acknowledging your dependence on God and gratitude to Him. Listen, pride didn't sleep. (laughs) It wakes up and it's right there. And when your feet hit the floor, say, Lord, I need your help today. 
And I'm thankful that I'm alive and that I've got a new day, but I need your help. Don't live independent, self-sufficient lives. Cultivate dependence. Third, practice the spiritual disciplines, prayer, scripture, memorization, journaling, all of these things. Set your sails to head in the right direction. They help to reorient your proud heart as to what's really important and what's really valuable. Seize your downtime. Meaning, take your commute, your run on a treadmill, the last ten minutes of the day, and use them to set your mind on the right things. Put Scripture in your heart. The more you get Scripture in, the more pride will be able to be defeated. You have to listen to someone else other than yourself. And finally, there could be many more, cast your cares upon Him. First Peter 5 links the casting of cares with humility. In other words, people who cast their cares cultivate humility. In other words, proud people, listen, proud people don't pray. Why? Because every time they get on their knees and pray, they're acknowledging, I need your help. So proud people don't like to pray unless they're in big trouble. When it comes to dealing with other people, here's some other things. Celebrate the evidences of grace in others. In other words, look, be an encouraging person. Celebrate how great other people are. Be the kind of a person that when other people see you coming, they're like, man, that's an encourager coming down that road. Look at that guy. He is an encourager that people are looking forward to their encounter with you as opposed to, uh uh-oh, here it comes, Johnny Bighead. This is, here he comes. He's going to talk about himself. Secondly, find ways to serve others. Listen, the antidote for pride is not just cultivating humility on the outside. It's also acting humble and acting on humility. So it's not just helping our children to think less of themselves. It's also that they think more of others by serving people. And then finally, invite correction. All right, here's where it gets really risky. I want you to do more than just receive correction. I actually want you to invite it. I want you to have this conversation. So, honey, in light of that sermon that we heard today, what are the things that you think I need to work on the most in regards to pride in my life? Come on, tell me. I promise you, I won't get mad. (laughs) (laughs) Write them down and then run. I mean, you can do whatever you want. Invite correction. Ask people. So, hey, when I said this, did that sound? Or, hey, when, when, when I, when I invite correction in every area of your life, you need people to speak into your life and to cultivate humility. Because the reality is you don't see yourself clearly. We don't. We don't see ourselves clearly at all. And the beautiful thing is that the Word of God helps us, and it's a mirror to our soul, but if we don't have the Word of God and other people in our lives, we will constantly make the same mistakes, the same sins, over and over, and we will be clueless because we're proud, and proud people don't see their pride. It's scary to me that you can think back in your life, I can think of it in mine, a particular season, and you're like, oh, I was so proud then. But when I was in that, oh, no, I'm not proud. And history is the revealer of what was really going on inside of the heart. And it may be this morning that one of the reasons you're here is to finally come to a realization that I need to break this back of pride and say, Lord, yes, thank you for your mirror and thank you for others in my life. And I need to tear down this wall of being full of myself. We need people and we need the word, beloved. Several years ago, I was having lunch with a fellow pastor in Holland, and we were having a great time talking about life and ministry. And in the course of the conversation at Bob Evans, he took his napkin and he wiped his forehead. And wouldn't you know it, a little piece of the napkin broke off and was stuck right in the middle of his forehead. 
it was a little bit of an awkward moment because he kept talking and I, I wanted to be like, it, you know, you got something. And I was just like hoping it'd like fall off. You know, I'm like, you know, trying to hope that thing would just like go away. And I didn't do that, but I was thinking, how can I get that thing off? And, and uh, you know, it'll fall off eventually. But that, that bad boy just stayed there and he's, he was talking and talking. And so, and then at that point I was like, now, do I still tell him about it? Cause you know, how do I interrupt this conversation? And, and so I, I said, well, it'll fall off eventually. And so I didn't, didn't say anything. And so we're there about 15 minutes or so. And then the check, uh, 15 minutes later, the check comes. And so we're walking to the, um, the uh, checkout counter and, and we're walking there. And sure enough, he's got that piece of thing right there. And I'm like, oh, you know, I see hope that thing falls off soon. So go to the counter. And I just, I, at this point, I just couldn't tell him because if I said, hey, you got this thing on your face, he could say, well, how long has it been there? And then it'd be like, oh, no, it's like 30 minutes. You know, I mean, now it's like worse. So I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to tell him. So I go to the counter and I, I, I give them the bill and I sign and, uh, you know, and he's He's, he's oh, we'll see if I hit him hard, you know, maybe it'll come off or something. And so he goes out, he goes out to the car and I'm like, oh, whew, glad that's over. You know, I'm so awkward inside. Like, oh, I wish I, you know, I just couldn't tell him. I just couldn't tell him. So I go, I think it's, oh, great. So I go back to my office and I'm like, oh, whew, glad that's over. And I see this blinking light on my phone. It's a voicemail. So I press the voicemail button, push in my code. And on the other line is, hey, Vrogop, some friend you are. Yeah, so when I got in my car, I turned the ignition on, I looked in the mirror. Guess what I saw? Yeah, this big piece of paper sticking on my forehead. Like, how long was that there? Yeah, like some good friend you are wouldn't even tell me about some paper. Thanks a lot, Brogop. Love you too, click. You see, a good friend would tell a friend, Hey, buddy, you got, you got something on your forehead. You just need it. Yeah, okay, good. We can keep a good friend would would do that, and listen. And, and a good friend will say, "Hey, you know, just so you know, there's it's like this pride thing that's coming through right now. You can't really see it, and hope you still love me because I love you, and I love you enough to tell you that this is like it's really not attractive. We need people like that, and even more than that, we need the Word of God to do that." To tell us in the midst of a culture that says the most important person in the whole wide world is you, the Bible says, "Eh, uh-uh. No, no, no. You get that all wrong. You do that, God opposes the proud. Here's a mirror. He gives grace to the humble. So please, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your children, for the sake of relationships, and my goodness, for the sake of the glory of God, let us embrace humility. And thank God that he's given us a word that serves as a mirror to show us that we are not the center of the universe. And that we need to embrace humility because God wants to pour out his grace upon us. So, Father, we pray that you would finish this work of pride in our lives. And that you would deal it a blow today. It's a viper destroys, hurts relationships. And I pray that you today would just speak through your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is a better friend than I am. And that you use it to be a mirror to our souls. Father, I hate the pride in my own heart. I hate its manifestation in subtle 
small and obvious ways to other people. And with these brothers and sisters here today, I say to you, Lord, help us to sever this root of pride in a new way. We do not want to have you oppose us. We have felt and tasted of the pain of trying to run our own lives. And it has destroyed relationships, led to long-term conflict, created words that we should have never said, and feelings that are just so wrong. And today we see those as sin, as contending with you for supremacy. And so we pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us. And today, Lord, we renew our commitment to humility. We say, along with Paul, we want to have the mind of Christ. We want to know you, Jesus. We want to know your word and have it be a mirror in our lives. We want to be open to correction. We want to have hearts that are not defensive. We don't want to talk down to people. And, oh, Lord, we don't want to think highly of ourselves when we really know the truth of the gospel. We make a mockery of the cross by the exaltation of ourselves. And so today, Jesus, we say, we choose humility. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to cultivate that through the word, through prayer, through others, that you would be emblazoned on our chests in a new way. And so thank you, Jesus, that um, you love imperfect people and that you were a perfect Savior. And so, Lord, now send us from this place a people who've been not only moved by you, but whose hearts know that you have been good and gracious and kind to us. So, Father, I pray that you would be pleased with what flows from the hearts of your people in the seats and on their knees. Make us a humble people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.